It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. And welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com, on drmarakarpel.com, and also on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, November the 21st, 2021, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from Austin, Texas. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here to make the show run smoothly as usual. And we have another great program in store with you for you this evening. I'm very excited. Um, in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Dr. Chan Hellman, professor at University of Oklahoma, Tulsa, and founding director of the Hope Research Center. And he'll be here to discuss his research on the science of hope, and the book that he has co-authored about that called Hope Rising, How the Science of Hope Can Change Your Life. And I'm really looking forward to that discussion. Um, later in the program, the twins, Minerva and Ruben, are back to join us from Bay of Banderas, Mexico, with more Mexico travel information. And along the way, we'll have a few more tidbits. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guest. And my email address is drmara, D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again and get any links that we discuss on the program by going to my website, drmarakarpel.com, and the link to the podcast along with any important information will be posted later tonight. But you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G talk radio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear it by going directly to Apple podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Facebook. If you want to know what's coming up next time or any upcoming events, that's Dr. Mara Carpell, your golden years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. What's in person, whether it's in person or it's virtual, anything can be found to fill your day with others in your own age group. So be more active and start filling your days. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. Okay, we're going to take a brief break um, to play a few of our other sponsors' commercials. Um, it'll be very brief, so don't go anywhere because we'll be back very shortly and we'll be joined by Dr. Chan Hellman to talk about the science of hope. 
So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from Oklahoma is Dr. Chan Hellman, professor at University of Oklahoma, Tulsa, and founding director of the Hope Research Center. And he's here to talk about the science of hope and his book, Hope Rising, how the science of hope can change your life. Welcome, Chan. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so really looking forward to this discussion. And um, and even I, I love your book. And then today I was listening to your TED Talk, and there's just so much here. I'm just <laughs> so um <laughs> Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background before we jump into this. Well, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. And uh, obviously, it's a, it's a great honor and, uh, and a great opportunity to, to talk about uh, the science of hope. And so uh, professionally, my background, uh, I'm a psychologist by training, uh, uh, like you. However, uh, my my training was in... Uh, experimental psychology. So I've been a researcher uh, for uh, 20, 25 years um, and a professor at the University of Oklahoma for almost 20 years. Um, Most of my work has been uh, in pretty high trauma and adversity uh, scenarios, looking at domestic violence, child maltreatment, and I'm uh, specifically interested in how Trauma and adversity may rob us of hope, but more importantly, what are some simple strategies that we can use uh, to nurture and restore that hope, both in ourselves mm-hmm. and those uh, we interact with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is such an important topic. And, you know, before I found your book, I had, you know, I knew that hope was important as a psychologist, you know, we talk about hope and positive psychology and those sorts of things, but I had never actually seen the research on the science of hope. So when I found your book, I was very excited um, that, you know, you're able to show that this is real. It's not just something that, you know, some nice thing that we're 
<laughs> that we're saying. Um, right. You know, and I and as I shared with you, I had been through a pretty, you know, difficult situation, and I shared it with my listeners a few weeks ago about, you know, dealing with the situation with my mom when she was in the hospital. And I tend to be a hopeful person, and, um, you know, I can tell you my score on the hope test when we when we told her about that. But, um, you know, when I came back, I felt like so many people around me were trying to get me to give up my hope. Um, and if it weren't for my friends who were supporting me and, and who I, I really trusted um, to say, no, you're not, your head isn't in the clouds, there's reason for hope. Um, I, I might have given up my hope, and I think hope really made a difference in this situation in a very real way. So when I, I said, I have to sign a book about this, and, and your book popped up, and um, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Um, so, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, first, I guess, what led you to write this book? Sure. So um, hope is both a, a very, very personal for me, uh, as well as uh, professionally um, very, um, very important. Um, so during uh, a good part of my childhood, and, and I won't go into a whole lot of detail for, for time purposes, but uh, I spent uh, most of my high school years as a homeless youth um, and experiencing quite a bit of adversity. And I've just always been um, reflective of what is it about uh, that experience. And, um, you, you know, I guess the, the bottom line was, why am I a professor? Uh, how, how is it that I had those tremendous adversities um, and yet um, seem to have, uh, you know, achieved a great deal uh, in my life? And so as I began to really conduct research on the power of hope and its importance in being able to predict our well-being in very various domains. Uh, for instance, uh, in the positive psychology world, we know that it's one of the strongest predictors of well-being for children, for adults, for families. And so I just really wanted to find uh, an opportunity and a strategy by which to share both the science and the power of hope and make it really accessible to the general public. I've been very committed to developing and testing curriculum and strategies that are available for parents, uh, for teachers, for caregivers, for neighbors, for coaches, uh, et cetera. So that, that was really the impetus for writing the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, when a lot of people think about hope, they think about it in terms of, like, wishing and praying. <laughs> and what is – but you make a very distinct difference in your book uh, about this. What is the difference between hope and, and wish and wishing? Sure. So, I mean, this is such an important um, first step uh, in, in any, of con any conversation about the science of hope. And so hope is the belief that the future will be better than today and that I have the power to, to make that so, to, uh, to see that future um, potentially come true. 
So hope is really grounded in three simple ideas, goals, pathways, and willpower. Goals are the cornerstone of our capacity for hope. Each and every one of us, uh, from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed, we are pursuing goals in our lives. The question is whether or not we have the pathways, that is, the roadmaps uh, that we can identify of how we're going to pursue and potentially um, achieve those goals. Pathways thinking uh, is also our ability to identify barriers and, and to engage in problem solving to either overcome those barriers or to find alternative pathways. And then the third component is willpower, and that is really the motivational piece of hope. It is our ability to focus our attention and intention on those pathway pursuits. And so if we think about the way that we typically use the word hope in our everyday conversation, for instance, I'm from Oklahoma, and it's pretty common for us to say things like, I hope there are no tornadoes today. Um, uh, right. so, <laughs> so while I have, you know, that, uh, that desire for that outcome, the desire for that goal, that is the willpower for the goal, I have absolutely no pathways. I have no way to control the weather. And that's really the difference between hoping and wishing. When we have a wish, we have a desire for an outcome, but we have no pathways. We have no strategies. So when we have a wish, it is passive towards the goal. Hoping is about taking action to pursue that goal. That's, that's the key distinction. So, like in your situation that you just described with tornadoes, um, could it be a hope? Would there be a pathway to survive? Not that you can't, won't have a tornado, but that you'll survive the tornado. Sure, sure. So, um, we do have potential pathways to keep safe, um, but mm-hmm. my you know, my wish is I would prefer that there are no tornadoes, that there are no storms. I oftentimes think about, yeah, think about my grandchildren, for instance, who, you know, like the rest of us, become uh, alarmed during uh, during storms. And, and they have a great desire that there are no tornadoes. It's very scary. Um, and so we all have or we, you know, have access to different pathways that may uh, increase our potential for safe. And so, you know, we may have a goal of being safe during tornadoes or thunderstorms, and when we do have pathways there. But to say that I hope there are no tornadoes, I have no pathways uh, to, to that right. goal. Right, right, right. So, you know, why, why is hope so important? Why, how does mm, that affect our lives yeah. in, in such a deep way? Well, it is it is just a, a significant predictor of our uh, of our capacity to thrive, of our ability to live life well. Um, again, across the lifespan, there's over 2,000 published research studies on the science of hope, and very consistently, those studies tell us uh, in physical health, uh, psychological health, um, in social health. Uh, that that our capacity for hope um, is one of the single best predictors. The uh, the fact that these 2,000 published studies and then, of course, all of the research that we do at the Hope Research Center tests that um, 
uh, essentially on a daily basis uh, and continues to demonstrate the power of hope in our lives. And the interesting thing, for instance, is that, uh, for instance, if we can move the needle uh, on a child's hope, for instance, by a simple two points uh, in our measurement, uh, and two points is not very much in, in the metrics of it, but that increase in two points will predict a letter grade change in a classroom, um, which can wow. be a real game changer for children. And so uh, for me, by the way, um, and, and I think it's important for your listeners to know that for me, hope is never the outcome. Um, as a psychologist, I'm committed that our capacity to thrive is always the outcome and that hope is the process that we have to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So outcomes aren't guaranteed by hope. Um, right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so the important thing about hope is that it's, uh, it's about the possibilities. Um, um, hope is never based upon a sure thing, um, something that is an absolute that it will either occur or not occur. Hope is about the probability of us being able to pursue a future goal. Um, and so that, that's the importance of our capacity to have that future expectation. Um, that the mm-hmm. future will be better. So, mm-hmm. so, so, would you still recommend having hope? Let's say if the chances are not that great, but there's still a chance. Sure. So, one of the things that we would want to look for um, are the potential for viable pathways, and so. You know, thinking about things like um, uh, false hope, for instance, um, which I think is a very important um, um, thing to to consider, Um, and and I do hear it a lot um, in in various scenarios. Um, But the idea is that if there is still a viable pathway that can lead towards the potential or the possibility uh, of achieving the goal, uh, then there is still hope. Um, it is when, uh, again, when it becomes an absolute, um, that hope, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's Dante's statement, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, we have, to, we have to really lean into the idea that are there viable pathways? Are there viable strategies that we can still lean into uh, and try? Um, um, to pursue and achieve our goal. Um, I will tell you that one of the things that uh, is also important about uh, hope is our capacity to regal, uh, that is to uh, begin uh, pursuing a particular outcome and um, that as we begin to pursue it and, uh, you know, we always have opportunities to consider other um, other options, other areas of, of focus. And, you know, in this way, some of our work, for instance, in uh, uh, hospice or, or end-of-life uh, kinds of scenarios uh, is a potential shift um, towards, um, um, you know, overcoming uh, the illness, overcoming the, the terminal uh, um, condition uh, to a shift where we may uh, turn our goal towards making peace uh, with our own 
uh, sort of connectedness to our family mm-hmm. members or to our friends or, you know, in a very spiritual uh, framework to um, our belief uh, in, in spirituality and, and religion. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a very, very powerful part, uh, excuse me, a very powerful part of our capacity for hope. Right, right. So it's not over even if there is no pathway to the goal that you originally set. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. It, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, my, in my work, for instance, um, let's say that I'm working with a, a middle school-aged youth who tells me they want to be an NBA basketball star. Um, you know, that may sound like, um, you know, this fantasy or potentially a wish, um, but the important part here, uh, and by the way, for your listeners, this is a process that we call stepping. So once we identify the goal, then what we want to do is step, for me, I step backwards. That is, I identify all of the important benchmarks that I must attain by which to pursue and achieve the goal. So if I'm going to be an NBA basketball star, you know, and work backwards, what has to happen is I have to get drafted. So in order to Mm -hmm. get drafted, what has to happen? Well, I have to be on a team and get seen. In order to be on a team and get seen, what has to happen? And so I just work backwards with that youth um, to where fairly soon they identify that being in school is a pathway to their goal of being an NBA basketball star. And so we see a shift in their connectedness and motivation towards school, not that school is the outcome. School is the pathway. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But what happens if along the way they realize that they're not, you know, they're not Mm -hmm. good enough to be an NBA basketball star? Well, this is, yeah, in positive psychology uh, and in the uh, framework, the the science of hope, one of the things that we know uh, is that as we begin to pursue those goals, pursue those viable goals, that is, as I begin to engage more in school, uh, and my ga- grades begin to, say, improve or at least improve to the point where I can still play, um, mm-hmm. then um, the, in positive psychology, we actually refer to hope as a Velcro concept. That is, as we begin to nurture our capacity for hope, all of these other character strengths tend to come along with it. That is, our ability for self-control, gratitude, curiosity, um, zest, grit, uh, forgiveness, uh, social intelligence. And so, you know, three or four benchmarks down the road, as I begin to recognize that maybe being an NBA basketball star is not in my future, I'm now at a different place to consider goals than I was before I began the journey. And that's the power mm-hmm. uh, of, of hope, uh, is that it begins to move us forward. Right, right. So you can see other, other positive mm-hmm. things in the future that are attainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things, you know, that, we, that I just want to make sure that I don't forget, I, I actually wrote this down, uh, something you said at the very beginning, um, you know, that you were an optimistic person and, um, you know, there was an opportunity for you to potentially give up hope. Um, mm-hmm. but for your friends and the support uh, uh, that that you had. 
And one of the things that I want to highlight is that hope is a social gift. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is that hope doesn't happen in isolation for you. Um, hope happens in the relationships that you have with other individuals um, that can help you process and identify the possibilities and alternative pathways that may exist um, and to give you a framework by which to focus your attention and intention, that is your willpower, uh, to, to continue to see um, your goal as um, a viable outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, definitely, you know, the social aspect was, was critical. Um, I do want to just, you know, maybe you can kind of put this into the framework that you use and just mentioning the situation that I was in that you and I spoke about. I've mentioned it here on the show. My mom was in the hospital. Um, pretty much the doctor said it could go either way. Um, and then when she wasn't getting better but wasn't getting worse, he got to the point where he said, you know, you need to give up hope to don't have false hope. I don't. And it became a very obvious. Um, and he actually clearly stated, "I don't want my job is to is for you not to have hope." Um, and wow. And um, but because she wasn't getting worse, and because I've had experience working with elderly people who were dying, and I could see that she was not in that group. At that point, and I had friends who were experts in that field, you know, were nurses, a nurse who works with elderly people and used to work in hospice, mm-hmm. and a good friend who works in nursing homes as a psychologist, and they were saying to me, you're right, she's not, she's not at that point where you, you need to give up hope. She's, there, is a, there is a pathway. She can improve. But the pivotal thing is that if I did give up hope, the negative would have happened. She wouldn't have survived because it it took that push from my friends for me to say, I'm going to go directly to the specialist and ask for an increase of the medication because this doctor is not willing to do it. And as soon Mm, as we gave the specialist the green light, he became more aggressive and my mom was, was out of the hospital doing great in a week after she'd been there for three weeks before that. So uh, I don't have control over, you know, whether or not somebody lives or dies, right? I don't have control, you know, I don't have ultimate control. My hope didn't control that, but my hope controlled my you know, um, informed my action and pushed mm-hmm. me right. to push for something more to be done, which was not a definite that it would work, but that the, the specialist was hopeful enough that he was willing to try it. Well, I, you know, and that's, uh, that, that's another, for me, uh, example of the idea that hope is a social gift. You had an individual who, at least in the, in the context of the description, was a hope robber. Um, mm-hmm. you know, telling you there was no viable option and that uh, the outcome was a sure thing. Uh, so therefore, give up, you know, give up hope. And 
uh, fortunately uh, for you, you had people around you to, to identify that there are uh, additional pathways uh, and that those pathways are viable. Um, and it's really, uh, I think, a scary aspect of, um, you know, a profession that so many of us uh, in the health, you know, the healthcare profession, uh, physicians, uh, that we have to put so much uh, trust in and, you know, uh, in maybe a majority of cases, rightfully so, and everything um, progresses. But, you know, we've, we've actually done some research looking at um, issues around hope and burnout and secondary traumatic stress among uh, physicians. And one of the things that we know uh, with uh, continuous exposure to adversity and stress, um, you know, brings on the presence of that mental exhaustion associated with burnout. Uh, but in healthcare, um, it translates into our capacity to provide care um, and, and meaningful mm-hmm. care. And, and um, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a very scary thing because how many people would have just, you know, listened to the expert and said, well, you must be right. And, you know, but, but right. fortunately in your case, you know, again, the, the value and the strength that hope is a social gift, um, right. you know, came to play. So I guess, I guess my hope <laughs> is that <laughs> by doing this show, people can hear this and start to, you know, think about other pathways when they're in right. situations like right. that and really check it out to see if there well, are you know, other pathways. Right, right. And, you know, we've, we've actually uh, published a few studies uh, with caregivers, for instance, and um, one of the things that we looked at uh, in particular was um, mindfulness activities um, as a pathway uh, for caregiver well-being. And so we, we were focused on caregivers who were uh, long-term Uh, chronic caregivers, you know, it wasn't just an acute situation, you know, short-term situation. And so, you know, the the potential to transition into despair um, is Mm -hmm. is very real. And so, you know, the idea of engaging in contemplative prayer, for instance, or mindfulness activities to help settle... um, the willpower, which sometimes can be in chaos, um, but also into that despair that, um, you know, setting those short-term goals as opposed to being focused on long-term goals, but focusing on, you know, goals associated with today uh, can really help people, uh, caregivers in particular, transition out of or at least protect from uh, the potential for despair. Mm-hmm. That's really important because, you know, they say that caregivers, especially people who are, you know, long-term, like you said, long-term full-time mm-hmm. caregivers, right. tend to get sick before the loved one even passes. They end up um, getting sick with pretty acute or chronic illness because of the stress. Right. right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and I watched my, my mom was a long-term caregiver for both of her parents, one, you know, right after the other, and just watching, you know, her experience with, uh, with that, um, you know, really did inform me uh, in terms of, 
you know, trying to engage in those activities to, to really nurture hope, uh, especially in the short term, you know. And it wasn't that there was um, the potential to get out of being a, a caregiver in my mom's situation. And so, you know, it was really the power of hope uh, by focusing, again, on the short term rather than the long term. Um, you know, mm-hmm. what are our goals today? What are our goals this week? What are the pathways for those goals? Um, and so, you know, taking it uh, in much shorter increments um, helps us focus on those things that we can control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and being, since, you know, hope is a social gift, um, if you have hope as a caregiver, that actually affects the person that you're caring for oh, to gosh. also yes. feel hopeful. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, so, that's so true. You know, one of the things that is so important is to remember that hope is a way of thinking. It's a mindset. It's not an emotion or a feeling, but, a, but rather a way of thinking. And hope is contagious. Um, mm-hmm. You can see it when somebody is, is hopeful and you can see when somebody is, is, you know, experiencing the loss of hope. And, um, you know, I think, um, um, you know, Professor Salibe from the University of Kansas before he passed away made a comment that I just really adore. And it is, you know, sometimes we have to lend hope to others until they can find it for themselves. And so, I, yeah. I just I just find that to be a really powerful statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree because I think, you know, if somebody is sort of especially um, somebody that you're caring for, um, they are looking around and and um, for a signal about what's going to happen to them, what their yeah. <laughs> what their yeah. outcome is, and if their caregiver is hopeless then that will affect their ability to continue going and themselves right. because they will feel right. Well, that's right. You know, and, um, you know, our, our research demonstrated that, um, you know, when we, uh, when we increased hope or when, when we saw that uh, hope was nurtured and restored, um, you know, it's, it's ability to predict well-being uh, among caregivers surpassed, um, you know, what is typically the focus, which is burden and stress, um, oftentimes Mm -hmm. experienced by caregivers. And so, um, you know, that, that, um, that framework that is the negative association with burden and stress actually disappeared as we saw hope increase. So uh, Mm. it was very profound, very profound effect. That is. Wow. You know, I'm going to reveal that my hope score (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I scored very high on the hope scale of 58. Oh, wow. But yes, what was <laughs> really interesting is, you know, and yeah, some people will say, wow, you know, that's because your head's in the clouds. But the interesting <laughs> thing um, is that when I took like a worry, a worry test, I scored very high in worry. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how can I have both hope and worry? Sure. <laughs> well, so I guess yeah, so the yeah, so both of those, you know, it's uh, you know, the increasing in hope uh and and quite frankly, once once you increase hope or once you find those strategies to nurture and and restore hope, 
um, you know, I think it's really important for listeners to understand, and this is true in the positive psychology framework, this is not really the power of positive thinking. Um, you know, that once you increase your hope score, it's always high, because um, that's just not reality. I mean, each and every one of us have, uh, you know, really good days, and sometimes we have um, days in, in which we struggle. And the thing is, is that hope becomes a protective factor because for you, uh, for instance, and, and just for your listeners, hope scores range from a low of 8 to a high of 64, and so 58 uh, represents high hope. Um, and so you're, you're probably pretty good at problem solving. You're pretty good at finding strategies to, um, you know, to pursue those goals, which can offset, you know, the, uh, the damaging effect of, of worry and fear, um, you know. And remember that worry and, and fear, you know, have some uh, – fear especially have some emotional um, um, or affective kinds of framework. And, and when we begin to engage or get caught up in that worry, when we can remember hope, that is, okay, what is our goal today? How are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. And uh, then it can offset and serve as a protective factor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's, it's, where, it's where we focus, where we focus our attention. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just so your listeners know, I've been doing hope for 15 years, and I will tell you in all honesty that sometimes it's three days later when I realize, oh, that would have been a great opportunity to use hope. I mean, you know, I'm human. I, I get caught up in the stress and adversity, and you know. Um, but, you know, the more that we practice and, and build that muscle for our capacity to set goals, find pathways and focus our attention on those pathways uh, can help us overcome the adversities to live life well, or more importantly, to find ways to live well within our adversities. So. So this is such a, such an important topic and I would love to have you back on the program again. um, Sometime. It would be an honor. I I love it. Yeah, so maybe in the new year we can we can set that up, and, and I'd love to have you back. Um, but if listeners are interested in in reading your book, finding out about your research, your workshops, um, more about hope, um, what's the best way that they can do that? Sure. the The book uh, is a really nice uh, resource, Hope Rising: How the Science of Hope uh, Can Change Your Life. Uh, and it is written for the general uh, population, and it summarizes the uh, the research uh, that that we had conducted. Um, and then uh, my website, uh, which is um, um, chanhelman.com, um, also has um, access to resources of uh, strategies by which to uh, to nurture your hope. And as you as you mentioned, the TED Talk, which came out um, uh, earlier this year, uh, is also easily available um, uh, with any uh, Internet search. So probably a pretty mm-hmm. good place to start. Okay. Okay, great. Great. So I'm going to post that on my website post about this show later tonight so listeners didn't have the pen and paper ready, they could just go there and click on it later tonight. It will be there along with the podcast so they can re-listen to this. 
Um, and thank you so much. This is, you know, so important. I'm so glad that you're doing this research. It's really, it's really important, especially um, in this time that we're in, but always, you know, it's always important. But I think right now there's so much um, going on in the world that people are feeling kind of mm, hopeless about. Right. And it's really good to get back to focusing on pathways to hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's, as I mentioned, it, uh, it is an honor, and I do appreciate the opportunity to share this message of hope. Okay. Well, thank you, and we'll speak again, and, and you have a wonderful holiday. Holidays. <laughs> well, thank you, and, and same to you and your listeners. Thank you. All right. Okay. Good night. Good night. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Um, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And um, I'm just really excited that we I had that chance to speak with Chan Hellman, and I'm looking forward to um, uh, more because another conversation because there's there's so much um, about hope that's just so important and and um, I feel hopeful <laughs> that we can all find a way to get back on the path of hope and um, so one of the things that he mentioned that I, I would like to talk about because it's part of, of what happens when you have more hope, um, but it's also appropriate for this week, this week of Thanksgiving, and that is gratitude. And, and, and Chan mentioned that once we start focusing on nurturing hope, um, it, it changes our whole mindset, and one of the things that comes with that is an increase of gratitude. And, um, you know, I, I like to think about, uh, I mean, gratitude is important to think about every day, but when Thanksgiving is coming, that it becomes much more pronounced for me. Like, what am I thankful for? What is, what is it that I'm celebrating this year on Thanksgiving? And, when we're thankful, when we have gratitude, it change, It also changes our mindset. Um, and I think that it's a two-way thing. And I'm going to – I want to check with Chan about that, that gratitude also increases hope because when we're focused on the things that we have already accomplished, the things that we already have, then it helps us to be able to, to find pathways for a brighter future and to believe that we can get there. And that's what hope is. So um, 
so one of the one of the research findings on gratitude that was um, found by Dr. Robert Emmons at the University of California, who has done extensive research on the effects of gratitude and our emotional and physical well-being, is that people who make it a practice of feeling gratitude tend to feel physically healthier, to be physically healthier, and to have a more optimistic perspective. So there you go. It helps to increase our hope. Um, So gratitude, hope is about the future, having a brighter future. Gratitude is about focusing on what we already have. Um, and feeling thankful for what we already have. It's also um, it's also a message to ourselves that that we have enough and that we are enough already. So um, anything more that we're heading towards is like icing on the cake. Um, so you know the message that we constantly get from the world is that we're not enough. Um, we're always watching television commercials telling us that we need this and we need that to be better people, um, that if we don't own this um, product, whatever it is, then we're not going to be good enough, um, whether it's uh, something that gives us status, whether it's something that brings more physical comfort or clothing or makeup things to help us feel more beautiful or to lose weight um, and to lose weight in order to be a better person. Um, Those are the messages that we get, that we're not enough. And when we get those messages, it's easy. Those advertisers are very good at getting their messages across on a very um, deep level and an unconscious level that we actually believe it that we are not good enough and we need to buy this and that um, in order to be better and to have more, to have enough. And we never really get there because there's always something new that we need to have and be. And we need to keep reminding ourselves um, that we are enough. And one way of doing that is through gratitude. When we can look at what we already have in our lives, what we already are, um, we can feel grateful and we can feel, and that's when we start to feel enough. So gratitude is one of the other findings by Dr. Emmons is that gratitude is not something that comes automatically um, for most people, that we forget about it. We forget to feel grateful. We forget that we are enough and that we have enough and that to build up that muscle of gratitude to nurture it so that we can, um, so that it becomes more automatic is to actually write it down every night. Um, They did a study um, with students who kept a journal, uh, a gratitude journal every night and found that those students who kept this journal for a period of time felt happier. They felt more satisfied in their life. So um, it's a really, so gratitude is is very powerful. Um, 
and it improves our relationships with other people because if we're grateful for the people in our lives and we're grateful for these connections, then we stop criticizing them. We stop judging them. We stop tearing them apart. We feel really good about having them in our lives in spite of any quirks or faults that they might have for being human. So we need to both do that for ourselves and for other people, and that will improve our relationships. So I would recommend starting today so that by the time you see your family or whoever you're spending Thanksgiving with, you are already grateful for those people in your lives. Um, Or even if you're spending it with yourself, that you're grateful for everything that you have and everything that you already are so that you can enjoy this Thanksgiving and really feel thankful. Um, So you could start with a list that you keep at night or or in the morning or whenever you feel like it. Just write down a few things that you feel grateful for. And if it's hard to think of something really big to feel grateful for, start with little things like I'm grateful for this delicious cup of coffee. I'm grateful for the food that I get to eat for breakfast. I'm grateful for this roof over my head. I'm just And build up to other things that are bigger in your life. But um, I really think that starting small and, and gradually building up and making it a habit to do this um, gratitude practice can make a big difference in your life. And it can help with the hope that Shan was talking with us about. So on that note, we're going to go to um, Mexico, the Bay of Bandadas. First, we're going to listen to a little music by Art, our producer, and then go to Mexico.
That poppy CT just blows through my mind It takes me back to my place Punta Mita time Hola, Ruben and Minerva Hola How's everyone today? How's it going with the coronavirus? Does it seem like it's getting better? Yes, everything is improving. Um, they have just changed the traffic light to orange, and restaurants and business will begin to close later. Okay, great. So last week we went to Kimikta. Where are you, take, where are you taking us today? Mexico City. Okay. Mexico City was founded by the conquistadors in 5021, and today has a population of 21,700,000 in a city that is 573 square miles. The city is located in the mountains, about 7,300 feet up with cool temperatures all year. You can follow the steps of the Aztec at Milbert Brush of Ria Kahlo, experience century-old tradition of the Day of Dead, and so much more in Mexico City, with, with international restaurants, museums, and other exciting sites, you will need to spend at least one whole week here. The Zocalo, or Town Square, suffered much damage when the 8.1 earthquake struck Mexico City in 1985, that could be filled as Corpus Christi, Texas. Even pilots lost their way and ended up in the Rio Grande Valley. They were are painful now. In the south of Mexico City, a network of canals went through a series of man-made islands in Pachimilco, the so-called Venice of the New World. Wow, that all sounds wonderful. Stay safe, guys, and adios. Until next time, adios. Bye. All right. That was Ruben and Minerva and Bea Bandetta. And we've come to the end of another show. Before we go, let me let you know what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So, Next week, we'll be playing an encore show for a Thanksgiving break with Robert Anthony in Australia discussing the Wheel of Life and the Great Life Choice. So tune in next Sunday for that. And then we'll be back on Sunday, December 25th, live, when Vietnam vet and Zen Buddhist monk Claude Thomas will return to talk about peaceful transformation of conflict, violence, and trauma. And if you want to hear tonight's program again, read the information from the show, get the links that we talked about in the interview with um, Dr. Chan Hillman, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, 
And the podcast and the link will be there later tonight. But you can also hear the show in five minutes from now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years, or go to Apple Podcasts and just look for my show there. It'll all be there. Follow me on Facebook for upcoming shows, for upcoming events. I have some announcements to make, so keep your eye out for that. It's Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. And thank you to my guests, Dr. Chan Hellman, Ruben and Minerva in Bay of Bandettis, and thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night, an inspiring couple of weeks, a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 